0: Good morning to those, a portion of our congregation watching uh, live, maybe guests uh, that are streaming in, we welcome you uh, to the service. I uh, want to ask you to uh, pray with me one more time in, in, in just a moment. Uh, I almost never bring announcements into uh, the message, uh, so I'm going to do it before I pray, but as we've been hearing a lot about the baby bank, and I just want to remind us um, and maybe for some of us, it might be the first time we've really thought about it this way. But the purpose isn't to supply uh, diapers and supplies to uh, abortion-prone moms that have decided to keep their babies. That's that's a, a way to try to get to talk to them about why we want to do that. Right? We're not at the end of the day a baby-saving organization. We're a gospel-proclaiming people-saving for eternal life organization, and we want to invite these single moms into that, maybe the dads that decide to hang around. We want them to be able to raise their kids in a place where they can teach them about these grand truths so that they don't just have life that's vain, that goes away like that, but so that they can come to Christ and gain eternal life. Right? That's pro-life with a big L. And we want to be praying that in and we want to make sure that as a church we are available uh, to those who are looking for hope. Uh, So be prayerful. Be prayerful for that with us. I want to ask you to pray with me as we get into uh, the end of number six this morning. Father, we are grateful to you uh, for this time. We pray that we would uh, see you in your word and We would come away with a, a clear sense of what you're communicating to us in this passage. Uh, we pray that we would go home uh, remembering uh, what you've taught us here this morning, and not just remembering it in an intellectual way, but that it would uh, permeate our very being and how we worship you with our lives and with our hearts and attitudes and minds. God, be with me as I speak that I would get out of my own way, Uh, use me as a a weak vessel for your power. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been a couple weeks since we've been in the book of Numbers, so I just want to remind you uh, that first sermon where we talked about reading the book of Numbers with New Testament eyes. I mean, what is going on? You've got a people of God, a covenant people of God that were in bondage, they were in slavery, they couldn't do anything about it. God, through his man Moses, got them out and plucked them straight into a land flowing with milk and honey, right? No, not right. Not right. In the Hebrew Bible, the book of Numbers is called In the Wilderness. And what we learn is that there's this in-between time between bondage and then the land, that is the holy land, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land where they have everything they need, uh, this place of no hardships, this place where the enemies are, are cast out, uh, where, where they're not attacked and oppressed and suppressed. But in the in-between time, there's a wilderness journey. You're going to see and probably be disappointed as we move through Numbers how often the, the Israelite people just wish they were back in Egypt. Why? Why? Well, I'd sign on if it was right out of Egypt, right into the promised land, but what I'm disgruntled about, you'll hear them say, is that the, we left the, Egypt for this wilderness experience, and if I had to choose between the two, I'd rather stay in Egypt. And so some of us as Christians, we, we sign on, you know, we, we, we enter this life, and then we realize, man, life is still really hard. And there are churches that will preach an easy message to say, "Come to Jesus; He'll take away your diseases, and He'll He'll give you stuff, and He'll enlarge your house, and He'll give you increase." What many of we call a, the prosperity gospel: to "Come to Jesus, and He's going to prosper your life now in physical, material ways." We realize that following Christ is bearing a cross, and it is difficult, and you live in a wilderness experience. And a lot of what we're going to see in the rest of the book of Numbers, the ups and the downs, the dishearted, this disheartened people of God that are uh, tempted, oftentimes succumb to the temptation to grumble against God. Why did you even save me if this is what life is going to look like? And maybe you've had similar thoughts cross your mind and maybe your heart has been in a similar place. Maybe you're in a similar place right now. You know, Where you, you think about your current situation, how difficult it is, and it cast God in a certain light. What they were really communicating was, God, do you really? you don't love us. You don't love us. You brought us out to just drag us through the dirt. And what they're forgetting is what this passage communicates. It's short. It's sweet. We've heard it many times before in this room, but it's at the end of Numbers 6. Would you turn there with me? Numbers chapter 6. Uh, if you're just joining us, you're new to church, you're new to the Bible. Uh, uh, just open to the beginning of your Bible. The first book is Genesis, and then go four books in. You'll find the book of Numbers about God's people having been rescued, but now they're in this wilderness experience in the in-between time, and what they need to cling to, what they need to remember, when life is difficult, when the wilderness is hard, when they're thirsty, when they're hungry, what's going to keep them or what should keep them from complaining and grumbling and just wishing they were just back in Egypt, wishing they just never even joined this journey, what they're forgetting is that the Lord blesses His people. And what I want to tell you this morning, as much as you've heard me rail against prosperity teaching and prosperity gospel, one of the things that makes me mad the most is they stole our word! Because God does want to prosper you, and he does want to bless you, just not the way they sell it. But God is not up there uh, <clears throat> constantly angry, constantly grumpy, constantly like, oh, fine, they're praying, I guess I should bless them. Like He just doesn't really want to do it. And maybe some of you grew up with moms and dads that were that way, where even at your birthday it was like, here's a gift, you know? You're just annoying that you live. Um, and that's sad. God is not like that. That is a failed picture of God's fatherhood. Check out how Numbers chapter 6 ends. If you go down with me to verse 22, let's read the whole thing through 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you, and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Of course, in the context, he's talking to his covenant people, Israel, an ethnic people, But we believe here that uh, the Lord has used that covenant situation to reflect and to teach us about our covenant situation. And that in a very real sense, if you are in Christ, you are God's chosen people. You've been grafted into this Israel tree. And so we can apply these things to our life and we see that it's a picture of their journey. Their journey is a picture of our journey. And in the middle of this wilderness experience what they need to cling to is that God wants to bless His people. He wants to bless His people. I don't have you out here in the wilderness because I hate you. I have you out here in this wilderness to bless you. To bless you. That sounds almost paradoxical. Uh, Why am I out here in this arid place where there's? we're not in that place yet of flowing milk and honey? This is hard to get things to grow and hard to get the cattle to move and hard to secure water. It's a difficult place. But God is telling them, I want to bless you. Now, if you are not in God's covenant this morning, you're on the outside, this does not pertain to you. There are general blessings we all can partake of, common grace. You know, it's not like only Christians can plant a seed and get a crop. It's not like only Christians can get a job. Only Christians can uh, learn about medicine and get healthy or whatever. There's common grace. But this is a specific kind of blessing that God bestows upon His people that are in covenant with Him. And who I'm speaking to mainly this morning are those of us who forget that this covenant God to whom we belong is a blessing God. He blesses His people. He could have just blessed them, but He pulls Moses aside and says, I want you to take Aaron and his sons, these priests, And I want you to make a thing about it. I want you to gather the people and say it. God can just bless them, but he wants them to hear him say it through the priest. He wants them to remember it and to know it. And he doesn't want this to just be a one-time thing. He wants this to be a a priestly blessing that they hear and they become familiar with and that they memorize. And that hopefully they would cling to, to know that God blesses. And for some of us, especially if we've grown up with bad models of fatherhood, We need to remind ourselves of who God is. It's no mistake that Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven. Different is your name. Because you're hallowed. You're holy. And the kind of God that he is, one of the things that is an attribute of his holiness is his desire to bless his covenant people. And he wants them to hear it. He wants them to sit there listen to it being pronounced, the Lord bless you. And we need to kind of revive the weightiness of that. I mean, you know, somebody sneezes like, God bless you. Blessing isn't really weighty when we kind of throw it around that way. I'm not saying it's wrong to tell somebody, God bless you for sneezing. But probably most of us, if we pull our children aside and before they head off to school, we have them kneel and we put our hands on their shoulder and we say a blessing on them over their day, it'd be like weird. But in this culture, that's not weird. And what God is saying is kind of like a father. And in some translations where it says the people of Israel, it says the children of Israel, God wants to bless them, bestow his favor upon them. He doesn't want them to doubt that he wants what's best. For them. That's not uh, a false gospel. That is the gospel. So let's look at what that means. What does it mean that God blesses them? Well, he uses different phrases for it. In verse 24, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. And so God's promising something in this blessing, isn't he? He's promising that my covenant people are going to be kept and I'm going to I'm the one that does the keeping. You'll notice it doesn't say the Lord bless you if you keep it. But the Lord bless you meaning I'm going to keep you. Now here's what's interesting and here's what's difficult because it would be too short of a sermon if I made it too easy. But we've read the first 6 chapters, right? Almost the first whole 6 chapters up to this point. And what have we been hearing? Do this, do that, don't do this, don't touch, you will die. The Levites need to protect the barrier. I'm scary, you're not me. I'm trying to dwell with you, but you, you can get killed here. So we need priests, priests need to do guard duty. Count your numbers, count your men. If somebody sins, do that. If there's adultery, do this. If somebody's unpure, unclean, put them out of the camp. And there's all these do's and don'ts and rules, Right? And it sounds like God is like, I'm going to dwell here, but you have to hold up your end of the bargain. You have to be holy, and if you're not holy, then I'm out of here. But he doesn't do that. He comes in and he's like, look, there's a sacrificial system. Here's priests to keep you alive. Here's the number of men that are going to go in and march, and we're going to do this thing. We're going to take the promised land. We are going to the promised land. And along the way, there's going to be lots of disappointments. And if you were there alive back then, you know, after the second, third, fourth disappointment where the people grumble and complain and turn their backs on God, you might be wondering, are we ever going to make it into the promised land? (laughs) I mean, if it's based on our own obedience, if it's based on our own ability to keep it, we're never going to get there. So early on, He ends this sort of rhythm of do's and don'ts and do's and don'ts, and that culminates in the blessing. Ultimately, the reason why you're going to get to the land is because I do it. Because I keep you, you don't keep me. That's something we need to recognize and grapple with. This blessing comes on the heels of a formula, the Lord spoke to Moses. You see how it begins in verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses, 11 times in the first six chapters Twelve, including this one. And all the eleven times that the Lord spoke to Moses, tell him to do this. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell him to do that. The Lord spoke to Moses, make sure it's like this. And then the final one, the Lord spoke to Moses, even when you fail in those things, I got you. I've got you. Now it's not cheap grace, because God doesn't make us His people to just like live however you want. Just like it would also be a bad parent to have your kids just do whatever they want. Where are your kids right now? It's midnight. I don't know. They do what they want. Eh. No, God wants his people to do things a certain way. Why? Because he wants to bless them. The rules and the do's and the don'ts is for the blessing of his people. And so when he teaches about the heart-wrenching realities of adultery and how it is is a betrayal that reflects the fact that he will never betray his people. We're not supposed to be like, oh, we don't get to do adultery. We're supposed to see adultery as something that's not good for us. Just for one example. And so all these do's and don'ts culminate in this blessing where the Lord doesn't, inter- doesn't put the do's and don'ts into the blessing. It's, there's no ifs here. Of course, he expects his people to follow along in that blessing. It means something in your life. You don't get to just say, the Lord has blessed me, wear a shirt, hashtag blessed, and go live like a heathen. But he does something to you, doesn't he? He does something to me to make us into the people that he blesses, and that in itself is a blessing. He pulls us out of Egypt and shapes us. He uses the wilderness to shape us into the people we're supposed to be. So we need the wilderness experience. It's a part of how he blesses, and it proves how he keeps us. So it's God keeping us. Verse 25, "...the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, or lift up his face upon you, and give you peace." Many have drawn uh, an analogy from you know, making his face to shine upon you or lifting his countenance or his face upon you. Rather than turning his face, he's looking at you with a smile. Not to sort of cheapen it, but in the sense that God is pleased and he's granting favor such that he's not blessing you out of obligation. He's not blessing you and it hurts him to do it. It blesses you, but uh, it's frustrating for him. But that it comes from his good pleasure, to do it, and our, we don't use language that's f- that far off from that. If you describe somebody as uh, uh, her face was beaming, well, what does that mean? It was full of light. Well, she's smiling. She's happy, right? And so, in this sense, uh, what what the blessing is communicating that the Lord blesses and the Lord keeps, and He wants to. <laughs> I mean, He He wants to. That's His desire. So he's not sitting up there with his arms folded just waiting for you to fail. Like, ah, see? I knew you couldn't do it. Get out. He's like, no, I know. I got you. I got you. This should be a big weight off our shoulders. We feel like the difficulties we experience in life are God just pummeling you, punishing you. Your first question sometimes is, what did I do? See, as soon as we ask that, what did I do? What did I I get wrong? We're assuming something that that isn't correct. God isn't up there with a scorecard going, I'll bless you if you got this week right. If you've got this month right, I'll bless you. If you do something wrong, ah, disease. Ah, lose your job. Should have done something right. No, it's not tit for tat. It's not... Constantly evening the scales of your participation, your effort, your performance, and then God blessing on the heels of your performance. Sometimes we get our theology a little bit more from Santa Claus, honestly, the Santa Claus story than than we do from the Bible. You're naughty, you're nice, that'll determine your gifts. Leave milk and cookies, maybe a little extra something in the stocking. It's not how God operates. Because if he did operate that way, all we would get is coal. Every Christmas. Full of full bunch of boxes of coal. Stockings full of it too. So how is it that he blesses? He blesses because it's him doing it, not us doing it. And that should be a big relief. That should be a big relief. So we operate. From God's pleasure, we don't operate for God's pleasure. We don't do things for the Lord. We don't worship Him so that we can attain His pleasure. We do it because it is His pleasure, and He did something in you to bring you out of Egypt. He's doing something in you to shape you and form you through the wilderness experience. God is the author of it. God is the one doing it. And He loves to do it. He loves to do it. He's not begrudging in doing it, and His blessing is all-encompassing. You see that in the words, in verse 25 and 26, the Lord makes His face to shine upon you. What does He do when He's pleased? What does He do when He smiles? What does He do when He has favor on His people? He gives grace. He is gracious to you. Now, God is going to spank them really hard a couple times in this book. But if He doesn't do it, He's just letting them do whatever they want. And why does he do it? To bring them into the right lane that they're supposed to be in. He does it because he wants to be gracious to them. He wants them to be in the land. He wants them to make it. And he's going to keep them so that they do. The Lord lifts his countenance upon you, meaning what? To give you peace. Now some people talk about, well, is that peace between us and God or is that like world peace or peace in my life? All of it. I mean, eventually, how is man going to experience world peace when he's at peace with God? When somebody's at peace with God, what is that like? Does that show up in my life? Yeah, it shows up in your life. I mean, it's all of it. It's the vertical. It's the horizontal. It's all-encompassing. When when the Israelites would talk about shalom, it wasn't just world peace or or absence of war. But this whole thing, the, the garden was right, the garden was good, and then sin messed it up. It's the thorns. It's the fangs. It's all of the ugliness of life that has creation groaning and waiting for that final transformation. And God grants that to his people because he favors them and he wants to do it. His face shines when he does it. He lifts his countenance upon them. He gives grace. He gives peace. Now this presents a couple of dilemmas, if we're just going to be really honest with it. It presents at least two dilemmas that I thought of. A problem, an issue that doesn't quite match. I want to believe what this text is saying, but there's a couple reasons why it doesn't quite line up, at least at first glance. The first one is, um, if I'm supposed to obey, how can God guarantee that I make it? Again, he doesn't start the book with the the blessing. He starts the book with six chapters of do this, don't do that, don't do this, do this. And then the Lord promises, I'm going to keep you. And as soon as you think, oh, so forget about that other stuff? No, no, do that other stuff. And that brings in a complication, right? Because on the one hand, it seems like our obedience has to be a part of this whole thing, but our obedience can't earn the thing. Our obedience has to be a part of our worship, but our obedience can't be the thing that secures our relationship with God because God says, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to do it. So how is God going to do it if we always fail, but we're supposed to obey in God doing it? That's the first rub. That's the first dilemma because if we, <laughs> if we take it wrongly, we can, we can leave here like, oh, God's going to keep me, so I guess I can just do whatever I want. So there's, there's the first dilemma. And the second dilemma is some of you right now, as you hear me reading, God wants to bless you, God wants to keep you, blah, blah, blah is how you're hearing it. Why? Because as soon as you walk out of these doors and you go back to normal life, you're going to remember that life doesn't feel very blessed right now, Pastor Lucas. Pastor Lucas. And I want to recognize that. I don't want sermons to just be words like, just trust God's blessing. It's a blessing. But I have a terminal disease. It's a blessing. I just lost my job. I know, isn't that a blessing? Praise God. No, we're not dumb. So how does that connect? God wants to bless his people. And you're like, well, maybe that was true back then. Was it? He's saying it in the middle of a wilderness. They're going to experience hunger. Thirst, attacks from enemies. And sometimes that fails. They're going to wonder where God is. We have this vision or this view like God was just constantly speaking to them out of clouds. Uh, No. They would hear what Moses said. That would be once in a while. But they, they are going to experience difficult things and then the priests are going to stand up there And say, thus says the Lord, he blesses you. Yeah, right, man, I've got leprosy. Thanks, I can't even be in the camp. When can you come back? I don't know, whenever you're clean. It's not like there was an evangelist walking through the camp just taking leprosy away. What do they do? They put them out of the camp. And so in the middle of their gritty, difficult, hard experience, God has the audacity to tell them, I bless you. It was a dilemma for them, and it's a dilemma for you. Let's not pretend like it's not. And so how can we take this blessing seriously? How can we live the lives that we live? We try to obey. We, we often fail. We try harder to obey. We fail again. And we look at the lives around us, and we realize, well, the difficulties in my life aren't supposed to be dependent on how much I obey, but God promises that he's going to bless us but I feel like I'm cursed. What's the dilemma there? Can we take this blessing seriously? And what, I'm, what I want to propose to you and tell you, tell you, preach to you, you can't take this serious seriously outside of Christ. You cannot take this blessing seriously outside of Jesus Christ. Christ resolves it. And the message for us is that we as Christians, for those who belong to Christ, we as Christians can be assured of God's blessing because He secures it in Christ. Not in the doctor's office. Not at your job. Not at your health checkup. Not with your income check. In Christ. Now we go, okay, because we're just going to spiritualize it. Well, no, no, no. No. God does bless physically, materially. But that's in the land. We're in the wilderness. And see, the mistake that churches make with the so-called prosperity gospel, the mistake they make is not that they preach that God wants to prosper His people. That's not the mistake. That's the Bible. The mistake is that they conflate land blessings with wilderness. There will be a time where there are no diseases. There will be a time where there is no sickness. There will be a time where there are no enemies. There is no opposition. There is no persecution. There are no pastors going to jail. There will be a time. That time is not now. That's on the other side of the fight. Right now it's a fight. It's survival time right now. It's supposed to be difficult And God, as our Heavenly Father, uses those difficulties to discipline us, to shape us, to make us into the people we're supposed to be. But He doesn't want us to just arrive. He wants us to go through a wilderness time. That's always been the MO. Moving toward that blessing. Now, Blessings do show up in our lives. If something does happen good in your life, uh, you don't attribute it to karma, you thank God for it, as you should. It's interesting that many of us, were so afraid to use God's name in vain, we have a hard time saying, thank God. So Christians following around, thank goodness. I'm like, who's goodness? Worship God. Give thanks to God. That's not a cuss. <laughs> thank God. Well, it's too little. He blesses us in the little things. And that's a good thing. So he does show up here and there, but oftentimes the Job experience happens. And understand this, God didn't allow Job to experience what he's experiencing because God didn't want to bless Job. He allowed Job to experience what he was experiencing because he did want to bless Job. He's pleased with Job. And I know that seems counterintuitive, but God wants to show off Job. And he can't show off Job if Job just gets everything smooth. The only way to really show off the work that he's done in Job is to put him in the pressure cooker. And then in the end, Job was better off because of it. That's the pattern of the Christian's life. Jesus is exalted through the cross. We don't get to skip the cross. He doesn't say, I'll carry the cross, you carry a basket. No, you carry a cross. Because on the other side of the cross is the exaltation we're waiting for, longing for. Jesus teaches in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek because they Currently now inherit the earth. No. Blessed are the meek now, because you will inherit the earth. And so we have a short, small view of what is coming, and we can't envision the land. We can't think of the land. We can't think of the all we see is just what's right in front of us, and then we'd rather rather be back in Egypt. if we can just visualize where God is taking us, if we can see this is a short time. Remember when Nathan preached out of that Psalm, this is a short time. Life is a breath, it's short. And the psalmist, isn't that what he's doing? The psalmist is saying, I had this complaint that just was heating up inside of me and I didn't know what to do with it. And then I realized life is really, really tiny. We can put up with a lot when we realize on the grand scheme of things, the wilderness journey is pretty short. And instead of trying to dodge all the difficulties in life, we can embrace them when they come. We don't go looking for it. That's just dumb. But we embrace it when it comes. As God's still being in control, and that difficulties don't mean God is upset with you, God is mad at you, God doesn't like you, He likes other people, but the reason why you've got that disease, why you've lost that job, why you having that difficult time, is because God likes other people more, that's not true. He might be trying to show you off. He might be trying to build you up, because you're His, not because you're not His. And these dilemmas are solved in Christ because Christ secures it. Think about all the hints that we get in this passage. Who gives the blessing? God does. Who does God use to give the blessing to the people? The priests. The priests are the go between to secure the blessing between people and God, to keep it intact. Well, what do the priests have to do? Constantly kill animals? Constantly reiterate the blessing over and over? Constantly do the sacrificial system and keep working it to keep this thing intact? Jesus serves as the perfect high priest because he does the sacrifice one time for all. So the cycle, the up and down, is broken. The Father lifts his face upon his people because he turned his face away from Christ the one time. So that now God doesn't look away and then look, and then he looks away and then he looks. He just looks. Why? Because he looked away the one time. And Christ took it. Christ took that disappointment that distance from the Father, he took it upon himself so that we are not distant. When you think the Father is just looking away from you, he's he's sick of you, you're not believing the cross. You're not believing the atonement. You're not believing in the effective, perfect, and permanent priestly work of Jesus Christ. He did that work on the cross so the Father would never have to look away from you, ever, if you're in Christ. And then we need to remember that Christ is the source of all the blessings. Let's do this really quickly. Could you turn to Ephesians? I don't always like to jump around in the Bible, but I think this is really helpful and important for us. Ephesians uh, in the New Testament, right after Galatians, right there in chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to think about these themes of his grace, his blessing. This inheritance, this inheritance that's coming, this promised land that's coming. I want you to remember those themes as I read verses 1 through 14. If you're a Christian, this is for you. This is for you. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you. And peace, there's one connection, grace and peace does God grant his people and his blessing. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You've been guaranteed an inheritance. It's guaranteed, and he says, You have it now, verse 11. You have obtained this inheritance. And then he says, the Holy Spirit, verse 14, guarantees the inheritance until we acquire possession of it. See? You're in the wilderness now because you're supposed to be. Not because you're naughty. Not because you're not spiritual enough. In fact, uh, the less spiritual might not sense the conundrum (laughs) Because it's just life. But for those of us who are in Christ and we know that God has blessed us and we know that there's this inheritance, we need to remember that the inheritance is not yet, even though it already is. It's sure you have it, you're going to get there. Why? Because of all that Christ has done. Ephesians 1. God keeps you, not because you did it. He's going to bring you home. But we're not home yet we're not home yet kids get antsy and we all you know maybe make fun of our kids we did it too and we're traveling somewhere we have no concept of time we can't tell geographically how close we are to the destination we don't know where our aunt's house actually is and so what do we ask are we there yet it's kind of a dumb question like we're still driving aren't we we're not there yet if we were there we'd be parked in a driveway and you'd see aunt so-and-so coming out and saying hi but that's us using a superior form of logic that children aren't quite ready for. Where's the child at? The child is just in a place where they're like, why are we still driving? I feel like we should just be there. I'm not quite enjoying the journey. I filled out the color book. I dropped half my crayons. I'm not feeling really great from the McDonald's we had. And can, I just want to be in my aunt's house in the big yard and play with my cousins. I want to jump in the pool. It's frustrating. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's oftentimes where we're actually at. Are, are, God, are we there yet? Like how much more are we going to endure? How much more do we have to put up with? And God was like, I want you to experience my blessing during the car ride. Everybody wants to have fun at the house. Everybody wants to have fun in the land. But it's the, it's the journey that I'm using to build you and to count on me and to trust my driving and to trust my navigation So that when it takes a long time and you're not feeling really great, it's not because your father hates you. It's not because he's against you. He's doing something. He's doing something in you. And we take the wilderness hits because we have the privilege of escaping Egypt. He pulls you out to work on you. And he doesn't just pull us out and plop us into heaven or plop us into the new earth. Very intentionally. He wants us to experience his blessings through the hardships, through the difficulties. That's not a throwaway thing. That's exactly what you take into the hospital room. That's exactly how you tuck your kids in at night. That's exactly how we as parents prepare our kids for the world. It is difficult out there. You will get knocked around, pushed around, shoved for your faith, for your beliefs. They're not going to just hand you things, it's going to be hard. And we go back to the blessing. The Lord spoke to Moses, and through this Moses getting it down, for us to receive it all these thousands of years later, that we as well receive this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Why does he do that? Verse 27, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. You wear God's name. You're like, oh, do I? Yeah, do you call yourself a Christian? If you are in Christ, you wear his name. His name is upon you and what God is doing in the world What God is showing the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites, the Philistines, what God is showing is, these are my people. They have my name on it. It's not because they're strong. It's not because they're awesome. They very often disappoint me, actually. But my name is on them, and so I'm bringing them in the land because it's me. His name is all over the blessing. The Lord spoke to Moses, you shall bless the people of Israel and say to them, the Lord bless you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. I will put my name on the people and bless them. And so you have a better last name than your actual last name. You're his. And he will get you through this time. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would leave here not just with our hearts brimming with hope, uh, but with the desire to share it to a watching world that doesn't have hope, especially in this time of political craziness and covid craziness, and all of the things that we're experiencing, and the arguments that churches are having within themselves, and splitting denominations, and uh, evangelists that disappoint us with their moral failures, and all a whole slew of things that remind us we are definitely not there yet. But Father, we pray that we would cling to your promise and the truth that you bless us in Christ. That blessing doesn't primarily show up in material things doesn't always show up in our paycheck it doesn't always show up in our physical well-being but it will it will and we cling to your promises now because you're a god of your word and we trust you with it and our hearts remain thankful that whatever we experience now it's not because you hide your face It's because you shine your face. Help us to take all of it and surrender it to uh, you as we walk with Christ through this time, this wilderness time, as we long for the better promised land. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.